Welcome to the Newscape Higher Ed Podcast, featuring your hosts, Don Betts and Mark Stansberry. This podcast is brought to you by Newscape Higher Ed Advisors, helping university leaders effectively serve their faculty, staff, students, and community. Visit newscape.us to find out more. Welcome to another episode of Newscape Higher Ed Advisors. I'm Mark Stansbury. Yes, and I'm Don Betts. Don, please introduce today's guest. Well, every once in a while, Mark and I have had the good fortune of um, inviting uh, individuals who we admire or have watched closely, people that have had impact on the world around us. And we've been very pleased with the interactions we've had. But I have to tell you that in that list, uh, for me, our, our guest today ranks very high. I'm very pleased to uh, introduce uh, actually a former colleague of mine at the University of Central Oklahoma, but uh, Joe Height, who is joining us today. He has an extensive resume, which I will bring up little bits and pieces through the time that we have here together. But right now, what I'd like you to know about, about Joe is first, he agreed to join us for this uh, podcast, which we are appreciative. And uh, Joe wears many hats, but right now he is currently serving in a very important position at the University of Central Oklahoma, where he is the uh, Edith Kinney Gaylord Endowed Chair of Journalism Ethics. I think that's a really significant position. He also, of course, um, serves as the director of the Oklahoma Journalism Hall of Fame, which is in fact housed at the University of Central Oklahoma. And a more about, uh, about Joe as we go on. Joe, welcome. We're so glad to have you with us. I'm excited to be here. I think this is, it will be a great discussion, so I'm looking, I've been looking forward to it. Well, Joe just told us he just came from a class, which is perfect timing. Uh, we're glad to have him. Joe, I've got a few ideas and questions I'd like to discuss with you, and Mark's going to pop in. We're going to go back and forth, but I kept, I kept thinking about it as I read your, read your resume and reflected on some of the things you and I have talked about that you made a really significant transition going from um, a celebrated working journalist and editor, including being involved in the, in the receiving a Pulitzer Prize in 2014, to being a higher education professor and the director of the Journalism Hall of Fame. Could you talk a little bit for us in our education um, audience uh, about that transition? Is it something that was real easy? Is it a natural fit? Were there some adjustments you had to make? What's it been like? You know, I think in, in, when you make any type of transition, you're going to have to make adjustments. And and certainly going from um, an editor of a news organization, being the head of a news organization in the newsroom uh, to an academic setting, uh, there was a lot of transition, a lot of learning that I had to do uh, in order to accommodate. We, we talk about at this university how we want to transform students. Well, in a way, we have to transform ourselves in order to uh, reach those students. And we have to learn new different ways in order to reach those students uh, as well. So I, I had to adapt uh, as much as the students had to adapt. And, you know, I've, I've transitioned to where I, you know, previously took someone else's ideas in this position and transformed them into my own ideas and how I teach the subjects of media ethics and media conference leadership and everything that goes into those types of subjects as well as other uh, topics that's related to uh, media ethics on this campus. 
So I, I think that I can't say that it was just easy going into uh, going into uh, any academic setting is not easy. I think that uh, it's much more work than and anyone can ever imagine. And and you know, luckily I had adjunct previously at the University of Central uh, University of Oklahoma. I'd also done uh, been in an adjunct petition. Uh, position te teaching media ethics here at the University of Central Oklahoma. So I did have some experience beforehand uh, in teaching and had, you know, spoken to more than 100 groups uh, nation and, and nationwide and internationally, including the state. So I had a lot of experience in that area, but you're talking about uh, one hour speeches compared to a whole semester and having to adapt to these schedules that you, you wanted to move the class and the topic forward in a timely manner uh, with a lot of, uh, and, and keep it timely too, because journalism ethics is not about what happened 25 years ago. It's what's happening today and what's happened here in the last few years. So I think that too is something that's a challenge is that I constantly need to uh, keep up to date of what's happening. For example, right now we're in Victims in the Media Week in our, in our uh, media ethics classes. And of course, I have to bring up what's going on with the 20th anniversary of 9-11 uh, and how journalists cover uh, those types of events uh, as well. So, uh, and get students to reflect on that. And I think that's an important thing as well as is why I'm teaching, they're reflecting on what I'm teaching as well as the subject matter. So to answer your questions real shortly, it's been quite a transition. I think after doing this for five years, I'm in my sixth year of doing this, uh, I, I think I'm starting to get a hang of it, but I think I'm still learning myself. Yeah, I think, I think we spend most of our careers uh, learning uh, how to do this in a way that actually makes, uh, makes sense and has the impact we hope it will have. You may mention the important dimension of um, adaptability. And I was thinking about you and your colleagues on the campus there and across, across the country and about the realities that you face since March 2020 in terms of teaching and learning in an altered environment. And could you just comment a little bit about what, what that has meant and how, how it's worked and where you see perhaps there were some highs and lows, some triumphs and some pitfalls along the way, or did it work really well and you guys made a smooth uh, transition? <laughs> I don't think anything was smooth when it came to the pandemic. I think in March 2020, uh, uh, we were all almost caught off guard by what exactly occurred when everything shut down. and and we had to adapt to uh, new ways of teaching. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm constantly thinking back to that semester and thinking, you know, how I could have done it much better. Um, you know, how Zoom wasn't even in the, hardly in the vocabulary at that time. And yet today it's a part of what we do. Uh, I, I think that, you know, I, I, I struggle to, to think of if anybody benefited that semester. Uh, I th think that we really had a difficult time getting through those that period when suddenly we were in thrust from doing in person to doing online, you know, everything online, everything video, everything Zoom that we could. 
Some probably adapted better than others. It took me a whole semester before I started to adapting more to Zoom and how it worked and how I could make it work better. And, you know, and, and even at times then I would have students say, well, you, you need, why don't you do this to help out on Zoom? And, you know, I, so again, we were both learning from each other. I think it took for the fall semester, I think finally by the spring semester, last spring semester, I actually was adapting pretty well. We went to a, I had extended learning. I was one of the professors who did extended learning. Extended learning, of course, is when you have students who are in front of you, uh, all in mask, and then you have students who are on Zoom. And I did that the fall semester of 2020 and then the spring semester of, of 2021. Uh, this semester, we're doing it all in person um, and, and trying to navigate through that. And, and uh, but, you know, I tend to think the and navigating through a uh, pandemic when you're even in person is more difficult than it was before. You can't do the type of exercises that perhaps you did before. Uh, you kind of have to, to, to adapt to that. Um, and I think that that's something that we, I've talked to many professors who say the same thing about what happened in March, 2020. It was just a horrible experience. And, um, and I think both for uh, the uh, professors as well as the students, I was really worried about the students because a lot of them expressed to me the difficulties that they were having um, in, in suddenly changing the atmosphere of how they were learning along with everything else uh, as well. So I, I think that <laughs> the last year, year and a half has been an incredible experience. I keep telling students, this will be experience you'll be talking about for the rest of your lives. Um, it may be an experience that may be with us longer than we even thought. And I think that's something that we have to continue to kind of navigate. We're navigating through um, waters that haven't been done before. It, you know, I, I had an editor who, who one time said, you know, and I'm big advocate of training. I think training is of utmost importance in the journalism industry. And we provide that in a transformative way here at the University of Central Oklahoma. But I had an editor say, it doesn't matter how much training you have. When you reach that point where there's some type of major events approaching you, then it, you have to adapt to the needs of that event. And I think we are adapting as we go with the pandemic. Joe, I First of all, I want to thank uh, Don uh, to, to, for the introduction and especially for your leadership, uh, Joe, in journalism and in the community and all your work in the classroom. Uh, we're, we're thankful for, for your efforts and really appreciate you. Uh, you're, you've done a tremendous job. And under the circumstances you've already described, and uh, it, it's wonderful that we have uh, leadership like that at uh, UCO and in higher education. Uh, you know, I think of I think of journalism. I, I'm telling my age, uh, guys, but uh, back to Walter Cronkite in those days of journalism, you could pretty well define back then. If somebody asked a student, whether in grade school, high school, or college, how do you you know look at journalism? You think of someone like Walter Cronkite or someone like that. Uh, you know, later on uh, there were others. Uh, you know, uh, there's Barbara Walters on on and on, but. 
how now do you recruit? How do you have students uh, that are interested in going into journalism? First of all, uh, from the beginning of how do you define journalism these days? It's so it's so broad. I would think that uh, there's so many issues, so many uh, ways to approach journalism. Now you have social media, you have uh, other other ways to approach it. So, Joe, how do you meet that challenge of just here's our program, here's what we're trying to do? I think here at the University of Central Oklahoma, as well as other uh, mass communication programs, we're trying to get the students to have as many facets of journalism as possible. Uh, if you look at today's journalistic world, uh, there's still, you know, there's still a print component, but a lot of what the the news organizations that have print do, they're now migrating to an online platforms. Okay. And with those online platforms, you then expand the number of news organizations that now exist. So if you look at even in Oklahoma, uh, you still have your traditional, your long uh, uh, term journalistic organizations, uh, both broadcast and print um, from, you know, you still have the NPR, you still have the Oklahoma you still have the Tulsa world. You still have the, the local broadcast stations uh, in Oklahoma city. There's, there's, four of those now, um, KWTV, uh, KTVY, KOCO, and uh, the Fox affiliate uh, as well. Um, and so you still have, but you then you go into your non-traditional ones, and um, uh, that includes Oklahoma Watch, uh, Frontier, Nondoc, Oklahoma City Free Press. Um, there, there's a lot of different publications that now exist online and I'm not I'm just mentioning news organizations as well uh, but that goes nationally too I mean there's been a migration from um, you know from the traditional news outlet to other non-traditional forms as well you mentioned social media I think news organizations use social media to promote their content to push their content to push their brand but I mean, there's a big debate about how much social media can actually provide credible news and what exactly is credible on social media or not, as well as other types of media. Uh, we've already already had always had partisan media. And I need to take a break real quick, take a drink of water. But we've always had partisan media. But in the days of online, in the days of social media, those have expanded considerable. And so we really have to think about what is credible media versus what is the talking head media? What is the partisan media that we have today? And how to get people to become more news literate about what's credible and what's not. It's sad to me that we have so much polarization in our society today I think a lot of that is fueled by social media. Joe, uh, thank you. And Mark, for that for that ex exchange, I was thinking um, just a moment ago when you were responding to the question just before, Mark, uh, when you were talking about teaching, et cetera, and Mark and I have talked about this before, how literally on a weekend, literally, uh, literally on a weekend, most of higher education, including in Oklahoma, made a transition. And like you said, then you have evolved and, and moved into greater command of the resources and the, and the media, but uh, that's mediums that you're using. 
but it's been uh, an un unusual challenge. And I think your comment about we're going to be learning what this actually means um, in terms of higher education for a long, long time. I'm, but, I, but I'm thinking about this, Joe, uh, listening to you and those students that you spend time with. I'm thinking about your role as the, the chair in journalism ethics. I've had a chance to be around you uh, and students uh, when you have talked, um, all of you have talked importantly and eloquently about First Amendment, et cetera. And I, I ask myself, how does a, how will students um, look at, at higher education after the pandemic? I mean, how, how will they look at their education? Do you think there'll be a, um, a dramatic or at least a visible change? Will, for example, will students want to be able to have access to you in person and through other forms? Um, do they anticipate that education will become more cloud-based and not so much face-to-face -face based? And what does that mean for the future of, of education? And also, what does it mean for the projection of the values that your work and others on the First Amendment um, do in order to make sure that these values are projected uh, into a next generation? That's a good question. And, and I don't know if there's really a great answer to it, except to say that I think we're evolving now exactly where we're going to go in the future. Uh, I, I personally think that, you know, in-person is still best. Uh, I think the, the amount of interaction you get, and I think students seem to prefer that, uh, more than they prefer Zoom, but I think that I learned during the last semester that, you know, that uh, Zoom can be effective and you can use it, use it effectively uh, to teach students in the future. You know, I have to say this, I think professors of today are going and teachers of today really need to learn how to be more responsive to their students. Uh, and I'm not saying this about the University of Central Oklahoma, I've experienced at other universities in which professors are really kind of lacking in how they respond to their students and not lacking in how they respond, you know, in many different ways of how students communicate these ways. You know, I, I tend to find when I get an email from a student, I'm going to respond to that student pretty quickly. I'm not going to let that student wait because, you know, there's a high amount of stress and anxiety that are built up today because of the pandemic and there's studies that show that it's particularly stressful for the um, the college student of today and and the balance that they have to have in their lives and we're going to continue as higher education institutions and we have to become more responsive to those students in which we influence in and how many ways possible uh, and i can tell you that it, it's sometimes difficult but I still try to be as responsive as I can, even when they're outside of my classroom setting. Uh, if, if they need a reference, if they need a recommendation, if they ask a question, they're, they're important to me uh, as individuals. And I think we have to start thinking about students as individuals, not as a setting in which they sit in front of us. We lecture to them all during the, the class period they go away and we give them a, an examination every once in a while, or they do a paper or something like that. We have to be able to adapt to respond to them individually. 
some professors, it's much harder than others. I think one thing UCO uh, benefits students at UCO is the limited number of students that you can have in a classroom. It's, you know, it's limited to 24, uh, unless there's a special exception, at least in mass communication. Uh, in other settings, though, professors have a lot more students they're having to deal with. They're going to need resources and help in order to be more responsive to those students. Uh, I think of most importance is we have to consider what we're putting the professor through and how we're instructing that professor to move forward with students of today, to adapt to the students of today, to adapt to the technology, to adapt to the fact that we have a pandemic in the middle of all that. Uh, and and we, I think that's sometimes slow um, in institutions. I'm not saying it's slow at the University of Central Oklahoma. I'm saying it's slow, perhaps university system-wide, is that the, to adapt to these changes, we've been kind of slow. And we need to really think about how we can support our teachers more in order for them to reach the students of today better. So they feel that higher education is valued, and it is valued. I promise you it's valued. We have a lot of students who go directly from this university into a professional setting because of what they learned here through this mass communication department. And we have professors who have experience in the field and are still connected to the field as well, and beyond most of them having very qualified academic degrees. Uh, so I think, I think there's a lot of ways that universities can adapt to help their professors more to make that higher education experience better uh, for the student. Joe, you're, you're also well known for your writings uh, as an author. And uh, can you tell us what are, you, what are you writing now? Is there anything that is uh, upcoming or and tell us a little bit more of the past as well? Well, I, you know, the last I wrote a book called Unnecessary Sorrow, which was a story about uh, my brother, who was a Roman Catholic priest uh, who suffered from paranoid schizophrenia and eventually was shot and killed on his front doorstep by the Oklahoma City Police Department. Uh, then I was involved in a book that was lead writer and editor of a book called Our Greatest Journalist, uh, 50 Years of the Oklahoma Journalism Hall of Fame. Um, I, I've since written a novel that I'm submitting um, about the issues faced by um, uh, high school students in the 70s uh, when uh, issues of segregation, integration, and those issues faced in a small town. Uh, another book I'm writing, I'm working on now is uh, called the, I, I started actually through a research project, University of Central Oklahoma called the Traumatic uh, Journey Project. And that basically takes, um, I go back to scenes of mass disasters and I talk to people who are directly affected, not just journalists, but victims and other people who were directly affected by these mass disasters. It goes from anywhere from the Martin Bryant massacre in Australia uh, to, you know, the Oklahoma City bombing. So uh, those of which I've had personal connections through uh, as part of the DART Center for Journalism and Trauma, which is based at Columbia. I was uh, considered one of the co-founders of that organization at Columbia University. So I'm proud of that, but also I want to explore more 
into how journalists cover these types of events and how their coverage affects others. So I do have a book that I'll be working on. I've been working on it the last couple of years. Uh, we also did a national survey uh, in conjunction with the University of Tulsa on how much it's being taught in universities um, uh, nationwide and worldwide as well. Yeah, Joe, yeah, I do have, I do have one, one more um, question comment before we close up. And that is, um, um, I look forward to, uh, to Tuesdays because on Tuesday, uh, the Oklahoma Journal Record, the business newspaper of the, of the state of Oklahoma um, publishes uh, Oklahoma Joe. And that's our Joe Hyde here. Uh, and I don't know what you read or what you where you look for your insights, et cetera. But Joe and I, I've said this to you in in, um, in notes to you, but I'll say it in more public publicly. I think you have a um, a, a unique way of combining um, a real insight into issues with a, a genuine a personal touch. And people who that I know who who read you, what you have to say and are not um, um, ideologically closed to whatever your topic might be, find, find you, as I do, to be not only refreshing and informative, but a, but a source of continuing um, insight into issues which, which we have to, have to deal with. So I guess my, my closing question is, in, in this world, Joe, where we have so many sources, um, et cetera, I'm wondering where do we direct our students where they can find a combination of perspective, insight, and understanding who, maybe this harkens back a little bit to what Mark was saying earlier, but who will our students or who do our students trust when they have to decide how they think or feel uh, about an issue? Well, I, I often talk to my students about truth versus facts, okay? That that we all have different types of truths, okay? We really do. We come from different backgrounds, different environments. We have different types of truths. But what are the facts? What are we really looking for to be ethical journalists? We're looking for the facts. As a matter of fact, my next column uh, tomorrow is you're being duped, okay? And, and there's constantly ways that people are being duped these days by misinformation, disinformation, fake videos, everything possible. We receive them in social media all the time. And so I give some examples of ones I've recently received and kind of give some people that, you know, what are some thoughts about these, how we're being duped and how we can avoid being duped, uh, how we can look at multiple sources for our information. Don't just trust that one individual on social media that you see. And, you know, the Pew Research uh, uh, give some excellent surveys in which they found that younger people get their information, they get their news from social media. A lot of them do. And so we have to direct them to what are the credible sources on social media in order to get their information. What kind of multiple sources? How do you check? When someone says something, you better be checking it. You better not be automatically retweeting it because that's not the way to do it or sharing it, or however you want to do it, you need to really check it out before you offer it for others, because your credibility is on the line. Um, you know, and I think we all use social media differently. And I have phases of using social media more often than others. And I think we have to really consider 
what that source is, whether, whether that source is partisan or not, whether that source is based on conspiracies or whether it's based, based on facts and evidence and research. And I think what the academic world offers more, better more today than any time in our history is research to back up the facts that are being presented. And I think that's what we have to direct students toward. What are the facts? You know, there's a lot of truths out there, but what are the facts behind that truth? And what are the sources being based on that truth? Or is it a downright lie? Are you being duped? So that's what my next column is about. Are you being duped? And, and how you can avoid being duped today, because I think a lot of us, young and old, are being duped by some, sometimes by what we see on social media. And we better be checking it out because everyone's credibility is on the line, especially these students in mass communication. We want to thank you, Joe, uh, for, for joining us. And I guess I'm reminded, uh, Mark, as we, we close up here, uh, listening, listening to Joe and seeing the linkage between education that helps us see the difference between truth and facts and the founding fathers' um, perceptions of how you safeguard the system that we have. Uh, is that in, that the, the press is enshrined in the First Amendment. It's there for a reason. And I think that there are times when we try to um, undermine perhaps the relevance and the importance of that. But when we talk about the freedoms that we hold dear, and they're enshrined in all the amendments, but particularly in the First Amendment, that's why it's first. I don't think it's any accident that freedom of the press is there. And Joe, uh, again, um, thank you so much for, for joining Mark and I here on Newscape and for the continuing work you do with our students, with our future journalists, and with our future citizens. Thanks for joining us for the conversation. Make sure to visit our website at newscape.us. Also, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review. We would really appreciate it.